0: you would turn there in your Bibles with me, or if you don't have one, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. How's it going? It's good to see you. Excited about a potluck. Are you guys ready? Not right? Not quite? Have to have a sermon first, right? And then potluck. Potluck coming up after the service. Um, Before we get started, I wanted to just take a quick minute to mention and uh, add, make an addition and correction from last week's message. Um, I talked about King David and uh, talked about when when he said I need to build God a temple, and we talked about how God said I didn't ask you to do that. I'm God; I can take care of myself. And He said, "In fact, I'm going to build you a house, and your household is, and out of your line, out of your seed, will be a household and a throne that endures forever." All right, and and that's true. They were talking; He was talking about the Messiah that the Messiah would be born out of David's line, and that, that Jesus Christ will one day rule on that throne, from that throne, and endure forever. Um, And I I pretty emphatically said, this was not about Solomon, David's son. And I I got asked about that after service, and I thought about it, and I went home, and I studied more, and looked up more, and read more. And so what I want to tell you today is, yeah, there's some indication that it is somewhat about Solomon as well. Uh, Not only was God promising the Messiah to David, and trying to blow his socks off, saying, listen, I've got you covered. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to, I'm going to have Jesus come out of your line. Uh, he also had a promise in there, I think, that would, would talk about an enduring faith or, an, or the enduring of his children, that God would, would discipline and correct and conti- let his children continue down the right path uh, for the glory of God and u- ultimately for uh, the production of the Messiah, that the Messiah would be on scene. So, yes, it is about Solomon and it is about David. It's a double or about Jesus. It's a double whammy blessing for David, all right? I just want to give you that correction. Only only one person, though, asked me or thought I might be wrong. And, you know, what's that? It was, our- <laughs> it was your spokesperson. Good. Well, I like that spokesperson. <laughs> Bring him on. If you ever think I, I need to reevaluate Scripture, you let me know. Um, so this week, we're going to be in a different direction. We're, we're in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be receiving some wise counsel from Paul today on how to stand firm. And what helps us develop some spiritual stability uh, that we can stand firm for the gospel and for Jesus uh, in our faith? So we're going to look at that today in in chapter four. Uh, You know, when we put on uh, our faith, or we put our faith in Jesus Christ, He puts on and clothes us with His righteousness, right? That we are no longer good and perfect because of us; we are good and perfect because of Him, right? He gives us a new heart, right, and puts puts a new spirit in, in us, His spirit in us, that we would live for him and for his glory, and that we would people would seek his glory because of our good deeds, our lives. But just because we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that our problems or our struggles in this life are over. Amen? They continue to go on, right? Our our eternal struggle and consequences of sin is over. God's done the work for us, and we'll one day have a hope in him and be in heaven with him. But today, those struggles and those problems are still around us. Today the world is still tempting, the flesh is still vulnerable, and the devil still prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom to devour. You ever feel a little bit of uh, devouring going on? You ever feel like the devil's trying to gnaw on you a little bit? Yeah, and kind of throw you around like a rag doll and spit you out? Those things still happen today. So how do we stand firm and how do we get some stability in the middle of sorrow, in the middle of grief, in the middle of anxiety or disappointment, in the middle of doubt, in the middle of discouragement? How do we, how do we maintain a stability so that our witness to those around us is still intact and whole? Well, we're going to look at that today. Paul, Paul offers that. Uh, we can have some stability in the, midst, in the midst of chaos. Not that the chaos will go away, not that the troubles will go away, but in the middle of those things we have, we have faith in him to produce the stability that we need. In uh, this term, when Paul says stand firm, it's got a military-esque ring to it. It's, it's, it's almost like it's a captain or a commander of an army or a general or, or a sergeant telling his frontline soldiers to stand firm, stand your ground, don't give up. Do not retreat, do not move, hold the line. And, and in that way, it, it matters what happens. The outcome of what happens from soldiers standing their ground in battle matter, right? And I don't want to be the kind of soldier when Jesus is saying, stand firm, that I just, I just lay my weapon down and I run away. Because that's not effective for the kingdom of God, and, and that doesn't create stability in my life. and doesn't promote stability in the lives of the believers around me in the fellowship. We have to stand firm. So we're going to look at how we do that today. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started, okay? Father, you, you're you a great God. You're a great Father, and we, we thank you for your love We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your discipline. We thank you for your encouragement. Ultimately, we thank you for Jesus, that he is our righteousness, that our righteousness is as filthy rags compared to him. We ask that the hope that we have in Christ would spur us on to create in us a a humble, gracious heart that's stable and committed to the unity and glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Number one point, if you want to develop spiritual stability in your life, work for harmony. Work for harmony harmony in your life. Let's look at verse 1. So then, my brothers, you are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends, I urge Eurodia and I urge Sintite to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. All right, we're going to start there. We need to work towards harmony. There's some kind of a disagreement, some, some kind of discord happening at the church at Philippi. That Paul would mention this. So we're going to explore that a little bit and see how that applies to us today as well. When we're talking about un- harmony, we're talking about unity. We're talking about the body of Christ being united and agreeing in the Lord is what Paul says. That we, we don't have to always agree about everything, but ultimately we have to agree for, about our mission. We have to agree about doctrine and about truth, about scripture, that, and that the Lord would be the king and that we would follow his orders and his commands. We're talking about unity. It's important imperative, rather, that the church maintain its unity so the mission of the body of Christ can be taken seriously and that there can be a fervent resolve and priority put on the mission of Jesus through his church. Unity is what promotes that. Unity is what stabilizes that. Unity gets us on the same page. If we're all soldiers in an army and we want to fight for the commander, we put on his uniform, grab his weapons, and we go in with his strategy. If we decide to put some other uniform on and get a different weapon and do my own strategy, we're probably going to get taken out and possibly convince enough people to be in disunity as well that the company would be taken out or we would lose the battle. As Christians, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the body of Christ, we want to be in a place where we see battles won for the Lord. There's victory had for the kingdom of God, that we need to be united that mission is seen, and by the way, in chapter three, and and they, this church embraced that mission. I want you to understand. And Paul encouraged them in a couple things in chapter three. He said, he said he counted everything that was of value to him as loss. So Paul said, I, in order to find and develop that that core mission in my heart, I had to say everything else is worthless compared to the all surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, I count everything else as loss. So. Okay, okay, Paul, we got that. It's all lost. Just Jesus. Here we go. They're getting that mission going. And then he says, watch out for false teachers because you get that mission set up. Then people are going to come in and try to sway your thinking about doctrine, about what's said in doctrine about about Jesus and about Christ's righteousness versus a works righteousness based on our own, right? There are always people who want to try to take us away from the truth of God's word. So he said, watch out for false teachers. So embrace true doctrine. and If you want to watch out for the fake thing, you've got to really, really know what? What's true, right? So, so Paul's saying there's this mission we have, right? We're going to forsake all the things that we thought were valuable and say the only thing that's valuable is pursuing Jesus, right, and his cause. And in doing that, we're going, to, we're going to know what we know, and we're going to share what we know, and we're going to watch out for those that would try to take that away from us. And then finally he says, once you have that, run. He says, run the race. Right, this is a race that's marked out for us, and we want to run as though one running for the prize. In other places in Scripture, he, he calls it a race. right? He, he says it's like a marathon runner. You're going to compete. You, don't, you, don't, you want to throw off everything that's going to hinder you or entangle you or ensnare you. You want to be able to run for the prize. So Paul says there's a mission to be had. There's, a, there's marching orders to be, to be embraced. And we as the church have to say that's our mission, is to make much of Jesus and to let, let people know about Jesus and his righteousness. So now we've got that mission, and the church there had that mission in view. But there was some discord still. And where there is harmony, there is stability. But when there is a lack of harmony or when there is division, there's instability. And distraction starts to creep in. And listen, the church of God is already under enough attack from the world that we don't need it from each other. We don't need it from each other. Now, I, I want to make, make sure you understand this. Paul is not saying there shouldn't be discussions. Paul is not saying that we should not confront sin in the body. What Paul is saying is that there are some things that we take and we say, I'm, I'm going to hold on to this bitterness. I'm going to hold on to this anger. I'm going to start to develop sides and teams. and I'm gonna dist- when, I, when those things start to distract from the mission of God and his church, that is what is sin, sinful. It's not that those things will happen. They, when they do, how do we respond? How do we work towards harmony? Even, even when sound doctrine is, and doctrine is not in question, right, discord happens. Discord hurts the testimony of the church. So Paul is saying, that, and Paul consistently says that we should support one another, right? We should encourage one another, we should care for one another, we should hold one another accountable. Right, that we should restore one another gently. Those are things we should do. But it should be much different than how the world handles bitterness or anger or divisiveness. We should look way different. There was discord going on in this church in, this church in Philippi, and it was a distraction. And Paul, Paul says, I urge you. You see, I urge these two women, and I urge this laborer who's there, this yoke fellow, some scripture says, this, this laborer. And what, what he, this person is, is most, most likely an elder at, F, at Philippi, an elder in the church, that and he's, he sees something going on, he knows something's happening, and Paul's like, get on this. Take care of this. It's important not to be divided in this. I beg you, I urge you, I'm pleading with you. And we can see hints of this discord in, in Philippians and other places. In chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, Stand firm in the Spirit with one mind. So he knows there's, there's maybe two minds, maybe three minds. Something's going on here to divide. Stand firm with one mind, striving together right towards the goal. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, uh, I, I'm so joyful about your, your church. I'm so joyful about this congregation. But make my joy complete, he says, by being of the same mind, of the same love, of, of one purpose. See, Paul is saying it's, it's going to be even better. I'm going to be even more joyful and you're going to be more effective for the kingdom when you decide to be united and, one, and single-mindedly going towards the prize. So resolve this. So a couple thoughts about Yodia and uh, Sintite. They, they were not outsiders. They were insiders. Right? Paul even said, they're people who labored alongside of me and contended for the gospel. They're people who fought in the trenches alongside Paul. And to fight alongside Paul, I, I'm guessing he's not going to allow people that are lazy Christians to be alongside of him right? Someone that knows their stuff. These women may have been there right around the birth of the church of Philippi, 11 years earlier than this. So they had been a part of the gospel and a part of the outreach of the church and a part of the of the maturity and mature Christians in the church. The second thing we can see is that the dispute, it doesn't seem to be doctrinal. It doesn't seem like they're trying to add something to the gospel or take something away from the gospel. It seems like they just have a dispute that's that's distracting from the gospel. And why do we say it's not a, not a doctrinal dispute? Well, Galatians, the book of Galatians, was written in correction to a doctrinal error. Okay? So when Paul has an issue with someone, and because they have an issue with correct doctrine, what does he do? He corrects it. He writes a book about it. says, here's the truth. He just said, Get this figured out. Resolve this conflict. There was no doctrinal correction offered there. Just resolve this. Become, be in agreement in the Lord. Strive for that. He tells them to agree or to live in harmony in the Lord, right? The Lord is our, our constant. The Lord is our destination. There is a time for conflict when, it's, when the sake of truth is, uh, is going to be, what's the word? For the sake of truth, right? When, it's, when it regards to truth or doctrine, there's a, there's a time for conflict. There's a time for heavy debate and discussion. There's a time for church discipline. But when, when it's about resentful or bitterness or about feelings and about preferences, there's a time for resolution for those things. There's not time, there's not time to lose sight of the goal for the sake of bitterness. Amen? There's not time to lose sight of the goal for the sake of bitterness or anger or feelings or emotions. Those things will distract us. And when distraction invades the body, we have to resolve those conflicts. So I want to give you, I want to give you a couple of thoughts in just a minute, but I want to give you this, this analogy that I thought up between services, actually. <clears throat> we go to Montana once a year. My family goes to Montana once a year for a family vacation to see my dad, and my mom, my brother, and just the, the family that's there. So it's a long trip, right? And I remember there are lots of times where we have, you have a 14-hour trip. You're going to have places where there's road construction happening. Every year, it's inevitable, there's road construction somewhere. Right, there, was, there was like two years in a row where Highway 97 was just a drag to go up, so we went up I-5, right? So you kind of detour and you make, you make r- arrangements. So here's what happens, I think. I think that we are all under construction, right? And sometimes it's, the, the progress of, of the goal slows down a little bit. And sometimes we have to take a detour and take care and go the right route in order to get to our final destination, right? But construction is is construction because it's happening and it's making something better. I'm okay with detours during construction. I'm not okay with detours or distractions during destruction, right? When we start to destruct what's going on and being built, distraction happens in a totally different fashion. When destruction is going on, I just choose not to arrive where I was going. I choose to not go there. And in the Christian walk, for you and I, and, and I, listen, I really want to be in Montana, right? So I'll, I'll go the roundabout way if I have to. But for you and I as Christians, we have this prize, this goal, this mission uh, that Christ has given us. And when we start to destroy and set up destruction in our midst, there are days I just want to be like, ah, I'm, I'm not going to that. I'm not doing that. I'll wait this one out. Guess who wants you to wait it out? The devil. He wants you to sit on the sidelines, on the bench, go back to the locker room, it's over. Christ wants us to resolve and be constructive, building something new and better so that it will last longer, that we can arrive at our destination and still stay on the goal. Amen? So there's two things that I want you to think about today in this one point. There's two. If you write anything else, this is what you need to write in your notes. What do I do? How do I resolve the conflict, right? How do I let go of bitterness or how do I get over anger or discord or or whatever it is? There's two ways I think you can do this. One, let it go. Get over it. Move on. And, and here's, I say that and you're like, well, that's not easy to do, Brandon. But let me tell you how it is and when it's easy. Because I know it's not easy. This is wisdom that's been passed on and I, I've just cherished this wisdom. Because <clears throat> there are days, right, you have these days too. There are days where you've had a bad day, right? There are days where you're not as happy as you were the day before. There are days where something sets you off, someone did something, and you're like, ugh. And then, you, then you're with someone else, and you, you have this expectation of how they should behave, and they say something, or they do something, right? Or they don't do something, and it's on. It is on. And the bitterness invades, Right? Anger starts to well up inside of you. Everything you were focused on, you are no longer focused on. What you are focused on is that problem that they created because they are evil. It's all their fault. Now, there are days where people do that and, and it hurts, and I get that. I would say this, more often than not in our lives, when that occurs, it is most likely, not always, but most likely out of character for that person. We, you and I, spend a lot of time dwelling on the pain that they caused us that one time out of the 8,000 times they've been around us. And we hold on to that bitterness and resentment and that anger, and it runs and ruins our life. You see, when something is out of character, it's not normal. That's not the way they typically behave. Let it go. Get over it. Because that person is a human being just like you. Fallible just like you. And for all intents and purposes, a great individual who probably loves you and cares for you deeply and doesn't even know they offended you. Let it go. You'll be glad you did. But there are the other, the other side of the coin where that person kind of habitually started to create some anger in me. We can't really have a friendly relationship, not how how we used to, or maybe we never could. And it just continues to go on. You cannot hold on to bitterness and internalize it and then start to tell teams and start, oh, I'm going to tell her and he's going to tell him and and we're going to just be a team against this team. That's called division. It's the number one tool that Satan uses and wants to use to destroy God's church. We don't start taking sides. This is a side that we take. And when there is someone that has hurt you or something that has been done to hurt you, guess what you have to do? Put your big girl pants on or put your big boy pants on and go talk to them and go resolve the issue. You have to get it resolved. And I know it probably isn't gonna help or be it work very well one-on-one. Find a, a mature believer who can. Set the, set the pace, kind of say, here's, here's how we're going to operate this. This is going to be about humility and about listening and about gentleness. And we're going to work to resolve the issue. Maybe it's your small group leader. Maybe it's your Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's your grandma or your mom or maybe it's your pastor. Whatever it might be, resolve the issue so that we can work toward harmony. It is so, so, so important. And, and we just can't stress that enough. Harmony, unity in the body brings stability in our lives stability that helps us run the race for Christ. Amen. Let's be stable. I spent a lot of time on this point because I think it's, it's the most weighty of points. Unity in the body is so, so, so important. I have just, I want to just let you know every, every week it just seems more and more exciting to be here. Just the excitement level and the energy that it's a rainy day. And, and, you know, some people at other churches may be like, ah, let's just stay home. You know, you're like, no, let's go to church. Let's be together. And I just, I love the fact that we're together. I love the fact that we have an excitement to be here. Right? There's a love for one another that we share. Let's, let's maintain our doctrine well, but let's maintain our unity well and our harmony well so that our church can be stable and effective for the cause of Christ. Number two, <clears throat> if you want to develop spiritual stability, we have to rejoice from a confident faith. Rejoice from a confident faith. Let's look at uh, verses 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Let's stop there for a minute. Paul, Paul is giving this imperative command, by the way. He says rejoice. You are to rejoice. And, and the word, it, it feels strange that Paul is commanding us to have, what, a feeling, Right? It's kind of strange. It's like, be happy, <laughs> be sad, be be joyful, <laughs> you know. We can't command that. It's a feeling. It's how we feel. But when he says rejoice, what he's saying though is rejoice where, rejoice why, in the Lord that there is something deeper inside of us that that this joy comes from. It's not just our feelings and emotional state. It comes from the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who God has revealed him to be for us, and that he has saved us and given us his righteousness. And from that place of hope, we can rejoice. Moreover, we must rejoice if you cannot rejoice because of Jesus and what he's done in your life, then he hasn't done anything in your life. And you need to question that. God himself has reached down and pulled me out of the muck and mire and given me a new heart and a spirit from him, and he's put his righteousness on me and taken away any of that pride that was mine that could have been worth anything and said, now it's all about me, and now you, now you can stand before God the Father clean, and pure because of what Jesus did. Oh, hallelujah. That's something to praise God about. That's something to rejoice in. And see, it's a perspective shift. To to have a stable faith, we have to say, I'm confident in that, and I'm so confident in my faith in Christ that I can have joy in the midst of sorrow. I can have joy in the midst of struggle. I can have joy in the midst of division. I need to rejoice. Paul says, rejoice In the Lord always, I say again, rejoice. God is working out everything for our good and for his ultimate glory. And we can rejoice. Turn over to Psalms chapter 1 real quick. Keep your your finger here. Psalms is right about the middle of the Bible, a little bit left from the middle. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. We're in chapter 1. We'll just read verses 1 through 3. I want you to understand this attitude because Paul goes on, and he says, let your graciousness be made known to everyone. So there's this attitude of rejoicing and graciousness that is present. And we want to say, where does that come from? How do I get that, right? How do I sustain that from the depths of who I am? So the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. says, how happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Right? That's pretty good advice. How happy can someone be to not do that? You know, all around us though, it's it's pressing in. All around us, the world says, be like us, but behave like, like us, respond the way we, we respond. Scripture says, How happy is the man who doesn't follow the advice of the wicked, who doesn't take the path of sinners or join the group of mockers. Instead, here it is, instead, his delight or her delight is in the Lord's instruction. It's in the Lord's instruction. <clears throat> and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. See, there's an attitude that we develop as we delight in the Lord. We talked about that last week a little too. That was we abide in him and delight in him and have this, this humble sense of awe in what he's doing. God shows up and starts to do something and we can look for it and watch for it and delight in him stay in here grounded here, that our joy would increase and remain. That's what the Lord wants to do in us. And there will be an attitude of gratitude and an attitude of graciousness and an attitude of compassion and humility in us as we delight in the Lord and in his instruction. That's that's what's going to do it for us. We will have a joy that is rooted, rooted down deep in a confident faith in him. See, I have a confident faith in Christ, not one that's shaken. And those roots that go down deep will help us keep stable, find stability, and and we will, it'll be a place where anxiety and worry cannot have a hold on us. Now hear me, I did not say they will not come up. I did not say that we will stop feeling feelings. We will feel things, we will be hurt. We will grieve. There will be sorrow. There will be joy. There will be sadness. But when we are in Christ and have a confident faith in him, those things cannot hold us down. Only our faith in Christ can hold us and sustain us. Rejoice from a confident faith. Number three, if we want to develop spiritual stability, we have to pray thankfully. Pray thankfully. Let's go back to verse 6 in Philippians. Hope you kept your finger there. I forgot to last service and I had to go surfing again. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, and we're going to go through seven, 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses every thought, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. That is such a wonderful promise. That is a promise we can cling to that when, when it doesn't make sense, when hopelessness creeps in, when doubts creep in, I can go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I, this doesn't make sense, so I'm giving this to you. Help me, and even if I never understand it, just help me have the peace that comes from you about it and and there are times i believe that he'll give us the peace and we'll never understand and there are times he'll help us understand so that we have peace right he's a god who brings peace and peace comes from god the spiritually stable listen the spiritually stable are ones that cry out to god in prayer and in thankfulness when things get tough when they doubt when they're discouraged When they are in fear, they cry out to God. The spiritually unstable will not, and they will let doubt and questions and blame keep them from a time of growth and maturity. Is it okay to doubt? Yes, it is okay to doubt. Does God want to know about it? Yes, he wants to know about it. His peace that surpasses all thoughts and understanding is the thing that's able to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When our heart and mind start tripping out on fear and anxiety, guess who can guard it? God and his peace. Is it okay to doubt? Yeah. Is it okay to have fear? Yes. Is it okay to have questions? Yes. Is it okay to blame? Yes. But tell God about it. Go to him and let him be the God that he is. And let him work in your heart and your mind and guard it in Christ Jesus. Number four. If we want to develop spiritual stability, we keep our mind on the things that are above. We keep our mind on the things above. Let's look at verse 8. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Listen, Paul understands that we live in a world that's like the dump. All around us, it's garbage, garbage, garbage. And the old adage says, garbage in, garbage out. We have to take our minds to a place of renewal where we can elevate our thinking and discern what we see around us, discern what we hear around us, and discern what we do with that. We cannot remove ourselves from this world, right? Paul said you'd have to like leave the planet to get out, get away from it. You can't do it. We are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. There's garbage everywhere, but Paul says elevate your thinking, elevate your mind to keep it on things above. And I want to go through this list real quick. He said think on things that are true. You want to know what's true? The word. This right here is the first and the final litmus test of what is true and accurate and right. Everything we see, everything we say, everything we do should be tested by Scripture. Think on things that are true. This is the source of truth. Things that are honorable. It means to think on things that are are heavenly and worthy of awe and reverence. It's to worship God, the creator, and not the creation. It's to give glory to him and revere him. Even as we're in the world. I told the first service this. You know, I I like athletics. I like baseball and basketball and and football and and the Olympics, right? We just had the Olympics this year. Fun to watch. These athletes are amazing, amazing. And there was a time when I was a junior high boy, I had like tons of baseball cards, tons of basketball cards all over the place in hard cases, in soft cases, in binders. And and then I had posters all over my wall. I'm sorry, no, I had idols all over my wall. Because I was worshiping people. And then I started to see things and, and elevate my thinking, and I believe God gave me the clarity and the perception to see this. It's okay to be an athlete. It's okay to use the gifts and talents that God has given us, the abilities that he has given us for an event like soccer or basketball or football or baseball, right, or volleyball or, or the Olympics, what, all the sports. But as I watch football now or as I watch baseball or whatever I'm watching, I am not worshiping the players. I am worshiping a God that made some players that are pretty cool, pretty awesome, pretty awesome abilities. And whether they are Christians or not, some that are Christians can glorify God with their word and with their deed and with their attitude and their their example. And others who are just made in the image of God but are sinners can glorify God whether they want to or not because they're doing what God created their body to do in in an excellent, expert way. It's just a it's a shift in the ways of thinking. I'm not worshiping a player. I'm worshiping a God who created the ability of a player. And it's not just limited to sports, right? We have doctors and nurses and we have police officers and firemen, we have lawyers, and we have engineers, and we have people with scientists, chemists, people with minds that are amazing. We have we have substitute teachers. There we have, we have moms. Right. Wow, wow. Moms, you are awesome. It's not even Mother's Day. and It's just like it makes me worship God to watch my, my wife be a mom and to w- watch my mom be a mom or, or her, mom, um, her mom be a mom, just like, it's a, and watch you. Some have support, some, some don't, but ultimately God gave you such a gift and a passion for your child, and it's amazing, okay? Elevating our thinking, changing the way we think. I don't worship moms. I worship God who made moms because he's pretty cool. So we elevate our things on things above. Things that are just, which means things are in agreement with God's eternal and unchanging word. With his eternal and unchanging standards. You know the Supreme Court in the United States, how it works and how case law works is that case law means that the case was decided this way, so now all these other cases can be decided that way. We we made a law based on a decision. Guess who had the first decision? Right? This is our case law. This is called the law. It's called God's word. We, we want to think about things and discern things from the law of God and from the standards that are unchangeable, even when the world laughs at us and thinks we're ridiculous. We are not. God is not. Things that are pure. This is, this is like a morally clean thing that we want to rejoice over, what God rejoices over. We need to be rejoicing over the things that God rejoices over and grieving over the things that grieve God. We don't elevate those things to be the things that we focus on and that we dwell on and that we, we use daily as part of our, our lives. We say, you know, this is right, this is wrong. and We elevate that which is noble and right and pure. Things that are lovely can, can, can be considered things that are charitable or generous, right? And that should be the epitome of a Christian believer, a charitable, generous, compassionate person. We want to seek that and we want to be that. We want to think on that. Things that are commendable. Or again, things that are worth listening to, things that are worth elevating in our lives. And when we start to change our perspective and start to change the way we think and what we think on and how we discern things, everything else changes. And can you imagine the stability that you and I will get in our life, the ability to stand firm in our life when we have this this standard, this bar that's been raised and set by Jesus, this loftiness of the Lord God Almighty that is central to our thinking? It's an amazing thing. If we take our eyes off the prize and we look down here. It's like Peter. He took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink again. The water isn't so stable if you're not looking at Jesus. We want to look at Jesus. Keep our mind on things above. He sums it up. Anything that's morally excellent or praiseworthy, dwell there. Dwell there. He says anything. Dwell there. That's why I don't, I don't listen to the news very often anymore. I catch the headlines and I'm like, I think this is called dwelling somewhere I shouldn't dwell, right? Or dwelling on. And maybe you have the ability to separate that. And I, Hey, if you do, great. I don't. I just get mad when I watch TV, right? Elevating our thoughts and our attitudes and our thinking will give us a right perspective to see what matters to God and will add stability to our lives and to our faith. Micah 6.8 says this, what does the Lord require of you, O oh man, right? He says to act justly. Love, mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Those should be attributes of, of Christians who love Jesus. Finally, number, number five. <clears throat> How do we develop spiritual stability? We, we practice for peace. We practice for peace. And he says in verse nine, he says, do what you have learned or put into practice what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. So what, what, what has already been set up, what has already been like, made known to you, what Paul, Paul's like, as I follow Christ, follow me. Do what I've been doing. I've told you how to do this. He says, obey, live, live with the word in mind, live with obedience in mind, practice these things so that you have peace. Now, a clarification about the word practice. We think of practice, like, man, I gotta hit the gym. Man, I gotta go try out for this. Man, I gotta get better at this, so I'm this. It's, it's talking about something different. It's talking about like, like a doctor's practice, right? We hope a doctor isn't practicing, right? That they, they're an expert in their field, right? <laughs> right? It's a practice. If you have a practice, it means, I'm an expert at this. I've been practicing this forever. Come on in, this is the, how I do things. Or, or a law firm, a lawyer's a practice. I'm, I'm practicing law. You know, it sounds really weird, but it means it is my way of life. It is my expertise. You and I as soldiers of the Most High should stop practicing. This is boot camp every Sunday. It's a little pick-me-up, right, training? But when you go outside, you are the church. You're the hands and feet, not, not training. You're practicing. You're practicing. You're living in obedience to God as a good soldier for Jesus Christ. And as we do that, as we practice that way of life, there's a peace in us. Why? Well, because I can lay my head on my pillow at night and, and sleep. I can say, you know what, I, I did the best I could today to love Jesus and obey him. I wasn't messing around and goofing off with my faith. Right? There's no shame in that. There's, and there's, to me, there's a, this reward that the reward is, yes, there's one in heaven for me. But the reward moreover, like Paul said, is knowing, just knowing Christ. As I obey, as I live my life for him, I get to know him more and more. And that reward is is worth fighting for. And the reward of others knowing Christ is worth living in a way that, that makes much of him. Paul reminds us that as we continue with godly attitudes and thoughts and deeds, we'll be guarded by the peace of God and by the God of peace. That he is the one that is there. Listen, when we put our faith in Jesus and when he, he saved us and put his righteousness upon us, this was a treasure inside of us now. And, and we are fragile human beings, and, and, but this treasure is so profound. It makes everything worth it. I want to show this last verse to you on the screen from 2 Corinthians 4, 7-9. It says, now we have this treasure in clay jars. That's us. We're the clay vessels, right? Fragile, breakable. But the treasure is inside of us, in, in, in us, clay jars, so that the extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressed in every way, but we are not what? We are perplexed, but not in despair. And we are persecuted, but not, and struck down, but not, because we have the hope of Jesus Christ within us. And that resolve and that hope and that joy and that unity that it forms causes us to have a stable faith and to be a church on mission and individuals on mission and a church on mission for the glory of God. Amen? All right, would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, I thank you so much that you you've given us so much. You've given us Jesus. I thank you for the righteousness offered through him on the cross and through the resurrection. I think that we can have peace from God and have the God of peace reside in us. God, I ask that you would help us to become spiritually stable, that we would would rejoice in you. God, that we would hope in you, that we would long for you. We want unity amongst ourselves. We want resolution, God, so that Jesus is lifted up. Help us to, to rid ourselves of the distractions around us, that we could firmly run after the prize of knowing Christ and making him known to the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we close with a song, as always, it's an opportunity to respond and worship to God and tell him how great he is. Maybe you need to sing it out, top of your lungs.